Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Amen. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. High five the person next to you and say, I'm so glad that you're here. All right. bud. Want a high five? There it is. I got mine. I got mine. There it is. Hey, so I'm excited that you're here, whether you're in the room. God is just so good, isn't he? Could you sense his spirit when we were singing to him just a couple minutes ago? Who could? Raise your hand if you could, you could sense the spirit of God. If you're at home, hopefully you got some of that too. And I just, I air five you if you're at home, just, uh, just jumping into the series that we've been in. We're in week four. We've got some little visitors in the room today. Good to have you in the room. If you're, if you're here and you're, like, you're a child, you're, in, you're usually in the kids' ministry, wave to me right now so I can see where you are. There you go. Don't hide. I'm also looking out for you. All right, there you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I'm so glad that we're all here in the room today and also gathering at home. I know that God has a word for all of us. So, I just believe that, and I know that, and today we're going to get into some really, really practical teaching. I love practical teaching that you don't have to walk away at the end of a Sunday and say, what was this about? You're going to know exactly what this is about by the end of this message, and you, no matter how old you are, you're going to find some things that you can incorporate into your life based off of God's Word. If you're ready for that, say amen. So this week, I was doing some research, and you know, I always do a deep dive in research preparing for these talks, and because last week I talked about bad habits, I thought I would just like maybe share one of my not great habits that I have, and every once in a while at our house, we'll watch these videos called, I don't even know what the videos are called, but but they're known as the satisfying videos. Who knows what I'm talking about, the satisfying? I know it's like a guilty pleasure. Some of you know exactly what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It's an incredible waste of time. That's what it is. (laughs) In case you missed it, it is an incredible waste of time. I, I was literally, I was looking this up, and I was trying to find a way to connect into the introduction of this message. So I'm like, okay, I just want to see a little bit more what these videos are about. And there's like so many videos, so many of these videos. And what they are, they're absolutely, they're just nonsense. They just are. And they, they just make no sense. Like, for instance, they're part of the video, it's a 60-minute montage, 60 minutes of things like this, of just string cheese being cut by string and it's like the cheese just falls and that's all it is or a dude pushing a snowblower like you could go to my neighborhood and film the same thing if you really wanted to on a heavy snow he's just pushing a snowblower and the snow's blowing there's nothing about it nothing fancy whatsoever like there's nothing even interesting about it but yet we watched there was another one a guy painting a wall I've got a lot of painting that needs done in my basement if you're interested let me know like this guy's just painting a wall and you see the roller going up the wall in slow motion and literally it's like an hour worth of things like this, just a montage of the most random things. Again, who has seen those types of videos now? Okay, most of us have. And, and what they say is that they're satisfying, and what's ironic is they're oddly satisfying. That's what's weird. I watched also part of that montage was puff, was puff pastry going down a conveyor belt. 
just puff pastry, man. There was nothing to it, no scratch and sniff. You don't get to taste it. It's just going down a conveyor belt. You can't even count them. It's going so fast. And I'm just sitting here watching this puff pastry, and it's like 10, 100, 1,000, like a bajillion. I don't even know. I was never really good at math. It was just like going down the conveyor belt of just like this puff pastry, and I'm just glued to this video, and there's so many videos like this. There was another one, a guy rolling dough. You can't tell if he's making a pie, pizza bread, bread, pizza. You have no idea what this guy's doing. He's just rolling out the dough, man. That's all he's doing. He's got the flour there. He's just working it up. Like it wasn't even the fun thing of like throwing pizza in the air and like and, and all. It was not that. It was just rolling out dough. And then the most disturbing, and they actually have a television show based upon this disturbing thing. It was, it was a person popping a pimple. And, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't from like a distance away. Like this joker was up close. Like, you couldn't even tell if it was a man or woman this was happening on. And I hate to, I hate to spoil it for you because you're, you're going to be like, you're going to be so enthralled, especially after this story. Like, oh. Like, it's literally like panning into this person's skin. And I, it, doesn't remember, I, I, it doesn't really matter if it was a whitehead or blackhead. The point is still the same. And it's like they're using some sort of device to squeeze. And then there's just this relief that happens when the, pop, or the pimple pops. I can't even say it. It's so disturbing. And I kept watching after I saw that this happened. I don't even know why. It was, it was oddly satisfying. I don't know. Just as advertised. And there's so many of these videos on there and, some of, you know, and just reels and people probably making a lot of money off people like us watching these videos. That at the end of the day, at the, after watching this, I just want to tell you, I didn't necessarily feel like that was a good choice. I just didn't. I didn't feel like, I was like, you know what? That's the best way to utilize 15 minutes of my day. I think I'm going to start out like a morning rhythm. I'm going to watch some of this. I mean, that whole puff pastry thing, I was enthralled. I was like, I was just, I was into it. Those types of things are not as satisfying as what they seem to be. But here's the good news. Anybody ready for some good news? All right. The good news is I want to give you something today from God's word that is truly satisfying. Truly satisfying. And that we don't have to be pacified by such silly things that we tend to be just as human beings. What we've said in this, this series thus far is the goal of the spiritual journey is a transformation of self. Now, this happens in so many different areas, whether it's our physical life, our spiritual life, our financial lives, our relational lives, or our marital life, or being single, just you as just an individual person. It's a transformation of all of ourself. So really what we've been talking about within the series is what you see entitled called habits is it's wide ranging. Just trusting that the spirit of God is going to lead you and direct you into the thing that he wants you to see changed in your life. Last week had a heavy message, didn't we? It was a heavy message talking about removing bad habits. And I know that you're listening. You see, when the room gets quiet, and then I hear conversations outside of this room after this. I just, I just know that God's working and that, that people are taking the message. They're taking it serious. And last week was one of those talking about removing bad habits. This week we're going to talk about removing or, excuse me, adding to your life some good habits. I want to tell you a story briefly and before we get into, into this full bore, the thing that will be truly satisfying. Several years ago, we lived in Florida a friend of mine named Jeff, he was an avid fisherman. Any avid fisherman in the room right now? Anyone, anyone, anyone? Got a few. Anyone tell the truth about their fishing? Uh, got, uh, there's less, actually. Um, 
Jeff and I, we, we went fishing, and he knew where this great place was to catch fish. And I've told you that I'm not a good fisherman. He caught fish. I caught the sun. It was Florida, so that's what I caught. And so we got done with our, our fishing excursion, and it was a blast. Just he and I out on this boat, and relatively good-sized lake. And he pulls up to the boat dock and, and where the boat ramp is, and he says, hey, just uh, he kind of just like nudges up to the ramp, and then he jumps out, and he said, hey, could you square the boat up? And then basically put the boat where it needs to be up next to the dock. And he says, and it would save some time because then I'm going to back the trailer up. I can't back a trailer. So I was like, sure, that's going to be the option. Uh, it, what I didn't tell Jeff at that time was I've never actually been behind uh, a boat either. So that was interesting. And so it was like a little bit sideways up against the boat ramp, and he jumped off. I, I thought, well, it's no big deal. Forward reverse, that's like not that, that big of a deal at all. So, so I take this thing, and, and Jeff disappears, thankfully, because I make an absolute fool of myself because I'm, like, putting that thing in reverse, forward, I'm going backward and forward. I'm spinning the thing sideways. I backed it all the way out of the boat ramp, clear away from, uh, clear away from, from the dock itself, and I thought, this is going to be fine. There was a little bit of waves. The wind was kicking up, so we had to leave. There was a storm coming, and I lined the boat up perfectly, and then the boat somehow through, I don't even know what it was, but the boat ends up completely perpendicular to the boat ramp. <laughs> completely. If I would have left it alone when he, when he got off the boat, I, I would have been absolutely fine, but I thought I knew better. So I'm perpendicular at this point, and I don't know if you've ever been perpendicular next to a boat ramp, and you're the one supposed to be guiding the boat up onto, uh, you know, up onto the, uh, to help the, the boat get out of the water. That's a bad situation to be in, and it's not my boat. And I didn't know how to fix it. But the grace of God was upon me, and Jeff was distracted doing something else. So then I backed the thing up, and I eventually, I didn't square it up right. I put it similar to the situation that he left it in when he got out of the boat in the first place. What I didn't know about boats is this. There are so many forces that are happening within a boat, like, and it just doesn't move like a car moves. It just doesn't. It, it, it trails behind, and the acceleration is just totally different. As a matter of fact, if you were to ever be in a boat, and you were to set a course to go from here to over yonder, I don't know where that is, over yonder, if you're going to ever chart that course, you couldn't just simply use the throttle and use the steering wheel. Do they call it a steering wheel on a boat? Come on, boating people, help me here. I was in the Navy. I worked on airplanes, okay? It's not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing. You're like, weren't you a sailor? Not so much. I was an airman, actually, but... Like, right, the steering wheel thing on the boat. It's like you, if you even chart a course to go from here to over yonder, you simply just can't do that because there are forces under the water. There are the forces of the wind. There's the tide of the water. If you're in open water, all of these things impact you going from here to there. And so it is with our lives. You, in the course of your life, may decide that you are going to begin where you are right now, and you set a goal, and that you're going to go out and you're going to reach and do that thing. Maybe it's the thing you're trying to form good habits around right now, and know that in between point A and point B, there are going to be forces that oppose what it is you're trying to do. There just will. There will be forces that oppose what it is that you're trying to do. There are th those forces may come by way of people around you because they're used to the old you and they're not willing to accept the new you. But you have to become the new you. 
There also may be other obstacles in the way. Maybe it's some past habits and things that you've done in your life, and those things need to be removed from your life. If you're going to go from here to the goal that God has for you, know that there will be opposition along the way, and you have to make decisions, even if it's a small decision and small commitments, for you to go from here to there, knowing that there will be opposition, but yet with the determination of the Spirit of God that you will do that in Jesus' name. These things happen to us all the time when we try to form good habits. We set out to go from from point A to point B, whether it's relationally, financially, or spiritually, or physically, in any of these things, and yet we face opposition, and we become, like, we, we don't expect the opposition, so we don't know what to do. So when we don't know what to do, oftentimes we give up on the goal that God has for us. And we give up on that goal, and we bypass that goal, and we may let that goal hibernate, and sometimes we just let that goal die. I don't want that to happen to you today. So I'm going to make this this teaching incredibly practical and helpful for you to get traction to accomplish things in your life so you can go from here to over yonder, whatever that is for you in Jesus' name, going from point A to point B with good habits along the way. And all within this, uh, what you're going to see, even in this talk, is there are certain aspects of your life, certain habits that you have that you don't even think about. Like, for instance, for instance, when you got up this morning and you brushed your teeth, if you didn't brush your teeth, people around you, when you high-fived them, they know you didn't brush your teeth, by the way. But you got up and you brushed your teeth. It isn't because you laid in bed and said, Oh my goodness, bacteria has been growing in my gums all night long. You didn't make that conscious decision to think, Oh my goodness, I need to rid my mouth of whatever's been growing in here, so I need to brush my teeth. The reason why you got up and brushed your teeth is because it's the same thing you did yesterday, and you did the day before, and the week before, and the month before, and all the times before. You just know that once you get out of bed, and your alarm goes off, and you put your foot to the ground, and then you walk into the bathroom, most likely you do one of two things the first thing you get out of bed. I'm just going to say it's brushing your teeth is one of those two things. (laughs) Just say it. We're all friends here, aren't we, family? Okay, good. So say you brush your teeth. You did that because that's what you've been in the habit of doing for a very long time. You do those things just instinctively. The human body itself, the the human mind strives to be lazy. The human mind has this default mode network within it that just, just tries to just find a groove and ride that groove. The brain does this because if the brain knows that I can just get out of bed and I know just instinctively I'm going to go brush my teeth, I don't have to make a decision about brushing my teeth. Your brain doesn't have to turn on and say, okay, now I need to make that decision to rid my brain of that bacteria. Your brain just does it because that's the way it's always done. It's this default mode network that's within the brain. It helps us in so many ways, and yet it also causes us to be lazy in others. This also is the reason why it's hard to get rid of a bad habit. Because we can be so ingrained in bad habits that it's almost like a trench. The trenches that that happen within our mind and our minds have to be renewed. And new trenches, if you will, to be created for us to get outside of bad habits and create good ones. This is part of the opposition that we face on a regular basis. 
It's the same thing after, who's had one of those times after work and you're driving home after work and yet you get home and you have no recollection of your drive home? Who's had that experience? It's because you're a human being. It's not because you're weird. It's because you're a human being and the human beings work in the exact same way. It's because you've taken that drive so many times. It's familiar. The roads are familiar. The signs are familiar. The traffic patterns are familiar. Everything about that experience is familiar. So your brain shuts off on its way home from work because there are other important things for your brain to do and your brain knows it. We do this in so many areas of our life, not just brushing our teeth or getting up in the morning. You see, much of what you normally do isn't a result of conscious choices, but it's the, the results of daily habits. If you're filling in blanks, this is the first blank for you. Much of what we normally do isn't a result of conscious choices, but a result of daily habits. A study through Duke University said this, over 40% of actions you do daily are not the result of decision-making, it's habits. 40% of, of a given day is not because you made a decision to do something. It's because your brain is just operating in this, much of that time, a default mode network of just trying to make life easier. One philosopher said it in this way, you are what you repeatedly do. You are what you repeatedly do. An author of a, a book called Atomic Habits, his name is James Clear, he said it in this way, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. In the scriptures that we're going to dig into today is in Daniel 6, it's a very familiar passage, but I want to highlight just a couple parts of this passage in Daniel 6, and, and some of you, you're like, okay, there's a few things I remember about Daniel, most of the things that we remember of what happens from Daniel 1 through 6, and we don't really remember as much from Daniel 7 through 12 because it's a different type of writing and the stories are completely different. And it's not about Nebuchadnezzar and it's not about Darius. It's about some end times things that we will uh, see fulfilled or are being fulfilled. Just a different, uh, it just a different, just a whole shift in, in the writing in chapter 7 through 12. But we're going to look at some things in chapter 6 of Daniel. And again, this is a familiar passage because this is the passage where Daniel gets thrown into the den of lions. And we're going to look specifically as not just him being in there and looking at his faith, which we could, and it's amazing. We're not necessarily even going to highlight his character, which was incredible, but also it's one of the things that got him thrown into the den of lions. Instead, we're going to look at the type of man he was before this instance, and we're going to see the type of man while he's in the middle of this, of this situation with Darius, who was the emperor of the, per, uh, the Persian emperor at the time. And we're going to see how he handles this. We're going to look at 13 different verses, but we're going to break them up because it's a, a lengthy passage and just try and uh, take some things from it along the way. Daniel 1, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 1 says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Verse 3 says this. 
Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was a man with incredible giftedness, impeccable character, characteristics that that we would want for ourselves and we would want for our kids. Just an incredible man of God. In the passage, Darius is mentioned. Again, he's the the emperor of of the Persian Empire. At this time, and there were 120 satraps, consider them like governors, and there were three administrators. So there were three administrators who were looking over the governors or the satraps, and because of this, because of Daniel's impeccable character, he was the one who was actually, who was being looked at to take over all of the empire. He was looked at so heavily and so highly because that's the type of man that he was. In verse 2, it mentions with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, the satraps were made accountable to them. So you see the, the hierarchy of leadership so that the king might not suffer loss. So Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire or the whole kingdom. Such potential in Daniel. How would a man get to this point? Is this just some gifting that he had from birth? Is this just a fluke thing like, okay, he just had his whole life just kind of worked out to where it was all easy and he just fell into a leadership position and now he's just, he fell into looking good as the leader and now he's being propped up as being the one who's going to take over the empire? Is it because he was just fortunate? It was just a, a, just a series of fortunate circumstances that led him to being the type of man that he was. We're going to see that these things are not true. Verse 4 and 5 says this. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, they weren't going to be able to trick him and put him in some ethical dilemma because he was, he was going to have the wisdom and the faith to, to, over, to basically overcome that. There was nothing that they were going to be able to do. There were, it was going to be such a mental challenge to where he wouldn't know what to do and he'd be found out by Darius and maybe be viewed as a fraud. They knew that that wasn't going to happen because even his opposition saw that he had exceptional qualities. And in the midst of this, verse 5, these men, they gather together. Haters going to hate, right? Taylor Swift taught us that. (laughs) Verse 5 says this, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 
There was nothing they were going to be able to do other than putting him in a position to where he would deny God. How did he do? How would you do? Let's see how he did. Verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. They found out the way to trap him. They thought that they had the winning formula. They thought, aha, finally we're going to get Daniel. He's going to be removed. Somebody else is going to be lifted up in his position. So sick of Daniel. So sick of being God's representative there, even amongst the pagan empire. So, so sick of Daniel's impeccable character and integrity. So sick of the fact that, that he wouldn't participate in all the corruption, the most likely that they were participating in. So sick of the fact that he was purposely alienating himself from what was going on around because he wisely trusted God in the middle of it. Notice how Daniel responds in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows, with, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. There's a saying in, in the army and in the Marines, special operations units too, that says this, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in war. So the thought being, the more that you and I put into practice good habits where we can connect to God, when the spiritual battle comes, we will already know what to do because we've been connected with God the whole time. Daniel, in the midst of this chaotic situation for most people, seemed to have a calmness in his faith. Daniel, in the midst of it, looking like that there's no way out, that everybody, they're all, they're all hedging against him, and he's the only one. He did what he had been doing well before this day. So much to say this, I believe the reason why Daniel had the faith in that moment is because he had developed his faith in prayer for all those times before when he daily prayed towards Jerusalem and he connected with God. That he himself was a man of God connected to the Spirit of God. So when the adversity came, when the battle came, when the struggle came, he didn't freak out. He just trusted God. Well, what does this have to do with habits? Some of you are smart and you already know. Some of you are like, Pastor, get there. In this passage, did you see how regular Daniel, how regular Daniel was in prayer? How many times in verse 10? Somebody tell me. Three times. I love the fact that 
for them, there was some, some significance with praying towards Jerusalem, which I'm not going to get into. But notice that the window is open towards Jerusalem, so he's praying and he's not hiding. He wasn't, in this instance, going into his prayer closet, just him and God, him and God, him and God. Instead, he was going to where the window was open. I just had to know that, that he knew that opposition was going to come, but he was trusting God would bring him through it. He had developed habits and the habit of prayer to give him the faith and confidence in God in adverse situations. And this would qualify as an adverse situation. Bluntly, Daniel made praying a habit and a priority. Daniel made praying a habit and a priority. You and I can go out and we can set out to do uh, many physical things and create physical goals and relational goals and financial goals and marital goals. Those things will only happen, truly happen, with God's help. Which is why I highlight this passage. Because when we get the spiritual peace right, it's not just us doing certain things to try and fix ourselves. Instead, we go to God with a confidence and belief that we cannot do it ourselves. That we are in desperate need of the Spirit of God work in us and through us so we can accomplish these goals in Jesus' name. This is not just some self-centered type of of thing we're digging into in this series, although it's called habits. We want God to bless, and we want these habits all to be infused with the power of God. Daniel is doing this. He made habit a, or he made praying a habit and a priority. But don't we know this isn't always going to be easy? The first car that I learned how to drive was an automatic. It's pretty easy. I mean... You go from park over to D. It was on the column, not on the floor. You could tell, right? D, learn how to drive. But then the first car that I bought that was a stick shift was a learning experience for me because I did not know how to drive a stick shift until after I bought the car. So my dad and I drove on the outside of town towards Morrisonville. And I don't remember who, but somebody followed us. And he gave me a few pointers along the way, and then he dropped me off in the country, and then he left in another vehicle, and he said, I'll see you at the house. (laughs) I was grinding some gears on the way home, as you can imagine. There was a lot of bucking going on also. I came to appreciate uh, how to drive a stick shift and make that four-cylinder seem like an eight-cylinder, at least for about 30 feet or so. I could really do some damage then. Then it kind of fell flat as soon as you hit second gear, and then you realized, okay, don't have much. But it wasn't easy. It took some getting used to. It took some grinding of gears. There was some bucking, and I'm sure it was right outside somebody's house, and I'm sure if they were looking out the window and be like, here, we got another one trying to learn how to drive a stick shift. And it was far from smooth, but after a while, it got easy. After a while, it got easy because I put it into practice and because I didn't give myself a way out. I didn't say, well, you know what? If this whole stick shift thing doesn't work out, I'll just sell this and buy an automatic. I was all in to having the stick shift. I mean, after all, it was my ride. It was my car. I bought it. 
So for us, we're going to have to have some stick to itness if we're going to have some good habits in our life, knowing that there's going to be some, op- some opposition. But it doesn't mean that God's not in it. As a matter of fact, it could mean the exact opposite. It could mean that God is in it. Let's dig back into our passage here. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about this royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Because it came out of his mouth. And because if he were to shift it, although we can actually dig deep into this passage, and we're going to see just in a moment even, that he actually looked very fondly at Daniel. And I believe in his heart of hearts, he didn't even want to do this, but because, because the king had a moment of weakness and he, he fell to the plan of, of the people who were going against Daniel, because it came out of the king's mouth, then this plan was already in motion. And he would have looked like a fool if he had reverse course. Notice what it says in verse 12 again. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone praised any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Notice verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is... The one who is one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, O king, and to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. You know, I, I thought about something, not a real deep thought whenever I was preparing for this particular message, and I thought, no one likes a narc, you know? We just don't. No one really likes a narc. They just really don't. They don't like the tattletale person. And, and yet, I, I was really drawn to the words in verse 13, he still prays three times a day. He still prays three times a day. Because these habits were so entrenched in him. We could fast forward through the rest of the chapter and, and find out that because of Daniel's faith and his trust in God, He was thrown into a den filled with lions. And then even in the midst of this, God shut the mouth of the lions. And it's interesting, if you were to do a deep dive in this, Darius comes around like the next day and he's like, Daniel, you in there? How's it going? You good? Because I believe in his mind, that he, in his heart, I don't think he really wanted Daniel to die. And then Daniel responds, of course, not by dying because he had faith and God delivered him from that. And then you see this verse that brings it together in verse 23, chapter 6, says this. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. Because he trusted in God. One small, may have seemed like an insignificant commitment in prayer to God. 
stored over time made a big difference. When you and I make a small commitment, form a small habit, it can make a big impact in the rest of our life. Daniel knew who he was. Daniel's confidence was in God. And Daniel prayed as a man of God. So Daniel knew who he was. So when the adversity came, he had already developed a habit of prayer and connecting with God, and he had already made it a priority three times a day. This, over time, built his confidence in God because Daniel prayed as a man of God. That's who he was. Based upon who you want to become, what one habit do you need to start? Based upon who you want to become, what one habit do you need to start? It doesn't need to be that difficult. If someone wants to be someone who cares, all you need to do is write one, one card saying you appreciate someone a day. It's really not that big of a commitment, but that can make a big impact on your life and somebody else's. If you're a person who wants to be organized, if you just make your bed first thing in the morning, you're already starting in the right frame of thought. If you want to be a godly example to your teenager, you take the initiative and start reading a Bible plan together. If you want to be a person that's focused, start your day with three priorities for your day. It doesn't need to be that complicated. You start right exactly where you are. When you say, well, pastor, well, how, do I, how can I create a new habit? You, you may think, well, I don't, I don't have habits. I don't have systems. No, no, no. You do. Running late? Some, for some of you, running late, that's your system. <laughs> you're like, you're counting on God's grace with God's people when you get to where you're going because you're late and maybe you're habitually late and you're just counting on somebody saying, oh, that's fine, you know they're always late. <laughs> just saying, it is. Sometimes, in not a funny sense, sometimes our habit is yelling at our kids. Sometimes they catch the brunt of our bad day, and that's a habit you've had for a long time, and that's a habit that needs to stop. For some of you, ladies, hopefully, putting makeup on in, your, in the car because you're running late. That's your system. Some of you, it's, your system is coping with a bad day, is drinking or putting something into your body that... that you're hoping is going to add comfort or numb the pain of what happened on that day. We all have systems. We all have habits. We all do. So where do we start? We start here. Last week I shared this, this habit loop. We have a picture, same one I showed you last week. It's the same image that we can use if we're going to create new habits. It's the, it's the same habit loop that we can create to start new habits that we use to remove old ones. So there's a trigger, the things that, that, that we need to add into our life that trigger us to be able to do the, the good and new habit we're trying to create. There's the action, that's the habit, and then the reward based upon the action that we create. And again, I'm making this very vague because there's so many different things about this. But 
So an example from Daniel 6 would be this. Daniel's prayer life, the trigger was, he prayed how many times a day? Three times a day. So there was three times a day, and the trigger was the time of day it was for him to pray. The action was prayer, and the reward was connecting with God. There's so many examples we can use. So where do we start? We start here. If you're taking notes, fast and furious at the end, I just recommend you do this. Make it obvious. Whatever the new habit is that you're trying to create, make it obvious. Don't create a bunch of hurdles for you to to do and don't make it complicated. Don't put this one habit, don't have it contingent upon somebody else and don't put this new habit contingent upon a bunch of complex things. Instead, make it obvious. Whatever the thing is that you're trying to do, a new habit that you're trying to bring into your life, make it obvious. If, for instance, if you want to be a person who's going to become more healthy and, you know, I, and say, I need to take vitamins, that's a really simple thing. Say, I need to take vitamins. Don't put them in the drawer, put them on top of the counter. That's making it obvious. They're right in front of you. Put, a, put it right in front of your toothbrush, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a type of person who, who maybe reads more, Don't put the book back on the bookshelf. Put it on your pillow. If you're the type of person in the same way, if you're the type of person that says, you know what, I don't want to look at my phone at the end of the day anymore. That's just, I'm in a bad habit. The blue light's not good for my sleep anyway. I don't need to look at my phone. I I need to get off of TikTok. I need to get off of Reels. I need to stop looking at shorts. I need to to get away from my phone. So in that moment, maybe a, a better habit for you to create is leave your Bible on your pillow. That way it's, it's obvious what you're trying to do. You're trying to replace a bad habit and, and replace it with a better habit. Another thing is this, make it easy. Make it obvious, make it easy. It doesn't need to be complicated. Start with one Bible verse. If you're somebody who reads the Bible and you want to memorize the Scripture, start with one verse. Not one verse a day, that, was, that would not be easy. Instead, one verse a week, one verse a month. Don't start out with a, a Bible plan, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year, and you've never really read the Bible for two weeks straight. In many ways, that's setting yourself up for failure, so make it easier. Give yourself some, some short-term wins. Start a Bible reading plan that's, that's a week long or two weeks long. God's in that. If you want to be the, the, the type of person who prays with your spouse and you've never done that, just hold your spouse's hand and pray one sentence to God. doesn't need to be big and flowery. You don't need to add a bunch of scripture. Just one sentence to God. Once you do these things, it's going to become easier to do what it is that you're trying to do and to create that good habit that, that you and God are, are trying to incorporate into your life. You're, you want to be the type of person who wants to be more physically fit. Start with 10 push-ups in a day. And if you're like, I can't do a push-up, start from your knees. There's ways around all of these things. You want to be the type of person who saves money and you're like, I've never been good at saving money. Start by saving $10 a paycheck. Make it obvious. Make it easy. The last one I would say is this. Make it soon. Make it soon. 
Without urgency, your desire will lose its potency to see change. So without a sense of urgency, without a, I've got to do it now, you will lose, the, you lose that, that oomph to follow through. Make it obvious, make it easy, make it soon. And what happens in the middle of this, it may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be, and it may change and it may morph, and you may face some of that opposition that we talked about a little while ago, and you may face some of that, and you may have to pivot a little, and you may have to change, and that's okay. It may not be as grand as what you thought it was going to be. There's a passage of scripture in Zephaniah chapter 4 verse 12 that talks about this. The people of God at the time were overwhelmed because within this scripture, the people of God, when Zechariah is prophesying to these people, they were overwhelmed because they were building the temple. And it wasn't turning out the way that they thought it was going to. So they're, they're overwhelmed and they're wondering, okay, what, like, what are we doing? This is taking too long. It's not as big as we thought it was going to be. It's just, it's, it's harder than what we thought it was going to be. And God reminded them of a simple message that I want to remind you before we, we finish today out. Zechariah 4.10 says this. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God reminded them and he was encouraging them. He says, I know it seems like a small thing. Seems like it's not going to make that big of a difference maybe in this moment. But over time, this small commitment will make a big change in your life. And God is reminding the people of God through Zechariah and also to us today. Make it soon. Make it obvious. Make it easy. Start small. God's in it. Would you stand? I had to laugh several times this week because many of you messaged me because you were looking for Zephaniah chapter 4. And you're like, Pastor, did I miss something? I don't have Zephaniah chapter 4 in my Bible. You're wise because it doesn't exist. But there's a Zechariah who prophesied around the same time as Haggai. And he prophesied to the exiles. People are confused like us. People didn't really know what to do half the time, kind of like us. But God wanted to encourage them in their faith. And I want to always encourage you in yours. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray to you today. And I just ask God that you would just restore maybe broken faith with people who are in the room right now or at home listening. God, I pray that you would not only restore that broken faith, but you would also build up those who have faith. Maybe some of us have been wandering in the desert, in the wilderness of some decisions that we've made, some bad habits that we've had. God, restore us and build us up in this time. Give us the courage to believe that even small commitments in your name 
can have a big impact in our life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. The same gospel that we sang about in the songs earlier. The same gospel that that we live our spiritual lives through. Jesus, we are just as much in need of you today as every other day in the past and every other day is going to be in the future. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your willingness to love the unlovely, to take our our sin and our shame as the Son of God, bearing it on our behalf. We praise you and celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond with singing, but, you know, in moments like this, I just have no idea what God's doing. So if God's been stirring in your heart, maybe you just need to continue and just go forward. It's just a way of acknowledging to God, say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my first steps. I'm going to make it soon. I'm going to commit this to you today. Maybe part of that commitment for you is just to acknowledge it publicly and coming forward. Maybe it's to just pray in your seats. Maybe it's something completely different. But as we respond in singing, don't just get lost in singing if God wants you to respond in another way.